Welcome to Secret Handshake, the podcast that covers the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. This week, Spine Number 7, 2020's The Empty Man, with Cosmic Horror, Funeral Sex, and Stephen Root. Cody. Yes. I grew up in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, wait. We gotta try it. Try what? Calling the empty man. Who's the empty man? If you're on a bridge and you find a bottle, you blow into it, and you think about the empty man. Oh, come on, Mandy. How old are you? Tell him the rest. On the first night, you hear him. And on the second night, you see him. And on the third night? Well, on the third night, he finds you. his way into your thoughts like a disease <laughs> and his message is contagious Welcome back to Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight. And joining me as always are Cody Bouchard. Yes, sir. And Martin Carlson. Hello, hello. Guys, we're doing one on the fly. Uh, from the ha- hip. From the hip. Shooting it from the hip, if, as it were. Shooting those ropes from the hip. And uh, we had 12 episodes all set to go. And Martin had this idea to where he was like, you know what? We just all saw this movie called The Empty Man nobody's really talking about it. And this might be the next thing that we look back on 10 years from now and go, Oh shit. We really missed the boat there. Martin, why'd we pick the empty man? Yeah. I think, uh, it was a couple of things where, you know, a we're now and we're still in COVID, um, sure. And not being able to see new films in theaters. And so a lot of stuff that I think has been released on VOD has been, uh, less than stellar you know it's it's some yeah some stuff that's kind of been dumped out or even bigger stuff like you know i hated one roman 84 um but what was interesting was you recommended this to me um i said okay i'll kind of get to it when i do and then a friend at work daniel who's a big horror fan is out of nowhere is like have you seen the empty man yet and i said no i you know the friend recommended it to me and i said just just give it a shot and let me know what you think um, I think I watched it that night, like Friday night. Oh, I see how it is. And fucking Daniel yeah, swoops and it's like empty man, yeah, bro. And I was like, I've never heard of that. Mine's like <laughs> golden recommendation. Um, but I ended up watching it and really liking it. And I think what also draws me to drew me to this film is as what we we'll get into is you know being made a few years ago, um, being kind of trapped in the uh, 20th Century Fox being sold to Disney, never really getting the the kind of due 
<laughs> never really getting its due. Um, Let, let's not mince yeah. words either. It's not even that it didn't get its due. Like this movie was like fucking murdered by its own studios because like it sat on the shelf for a couple years because it was shot at Fox. It's an adaptation of a graphic novel. Yeah. It was part of their partnership with boom studios. studios. Yeah. It was directed by this guy named David Pryor, who was like a behind the scenes, like featurette guy for like Fincher and fucking Fincher. Ridley. <laughs> yeah. Mostly Fincher. Cause, uh, but he also did like Ridley Scott and some Cronenberg stuff. Like he has a Cronenberg documentary on the fly. Um, but this was kind of his big feature debut. And I mean, like, this is a big, it's a small movie, but it feels big. It's like 140 minutes almost of just droning, portentous mystery that Fox obviously looked at and went, nope, and didn't put out. And then it sat on the shelf and then fucking Disney acquires 20th Century Fox and they put it out on strip. Well, it did go to a th- at least a couple theaters yep. here because I almost drove down to the Evo and Kyle to go see it on the big screen. But like, they played honestly, Alamo here too. Oh, did it play at Alamo? Alamo? Cause they were looking for anything to play. Yeah. It was like this, it was like December, November time. That makes sense. I think it was actually, yeah. Late October, early yeah, November. Yeah. Cause so that when was, was about, it actually shot. Uh, 2017, wow. I think. Okay. Um, but so then, it's kind of a uh, cabin in the woods kind of thing. Kind of minus the wide release, but it got caught up like New Mutants, similar yeah. stuff. What by the by the you know the merger? That's yeah, probably it, better. Yeah, it's it's two studios that basically tried to kill this movie, and then you know they dumped it. Like there's no the the poster is basically just white lettering, like almost like a just a placeholder poster. There was barely a trailer. Like it came out and you could find it because I remember even looking up. How I learned about the movie was I was looking because I was just dying during quarantine to do anything. And I looked and I was like, okay, we've been through this long enough. Like maybe I could go to the theater at like one o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody will be there and I'll feel actually safe because I had already seen Tenet in the theater. And like it was me and the guy I went with and nobody else. So I was like, okay, if I watch movies this way in the theater, I'm fine. Other people around me, not so much. So my whole plan was like, go and see a movie at one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. And I started looking up what was in theaters and I saw this listing for the empty man. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I looked and there was a trailer. That's how I saw the trailer for the first time was after the movie was already out and listed at a theater. And I watched the trailer and I was like, Oh, this actually looks kind of cool. It's not a great trailer or anything, but like it's the type of movie I would see and say like any other normal year I would expect to, be dropped in like January, like you know, like a, movie, like a, yeah. a dumping ground movie, but like it has James Badgedale. Uh, it has a, it's a dark, weird mystery. I saw the running time and I was like two hours and 20 minutes. What the fuck is going on here? But yeah. then I never went and I ended up getting a screener from a buddy uh, and watched it that way. And I literally watched this movie at two in the morning, like put it on being like, okay, I'll give this 20 minutes. And ended up staying up till 4.30, just totally locked in. Like, what the fuck is... This is awesome. Did you have to work the next morning? No. Okay. I was off the next day. All right. I, I might have been on I didn't some, know if that was the day you were so tired that you uh, waterboarded yourself with coffee. No, no, no. I might have been on some drugs, though, too. But, like, I just... I, I was completely locked into this movie, and I, I couldn't believe it. Because once it gets fucking going, like, it... it 
you're kind of in the zone with it. It's really, really great. But Cody, you just saw it yesterday for the first time, right? Yeah, last night. Hadn't heard about it before. Didn't know anything about it. Didn't really care for it. What? Yeah, I didn't like it that much. It's going to be good. Oh, man. (laughs) Okay. What didn't you like? Well, at one point, I did a a time check on it to see how much time was left because I thought, you know, surely it's got to be starting to come to a close and there was still an hour left in the film. Yeah. Uh, And I was like, really? Uh So... I, See, you had the opposite reaction where I went, there's an hour left. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, I was just like, how how many more avenues can we go down here? How many more side streets are we going to turn off of off of the main quote-unquote plot line? And um, I just don't think there are that many digressions, though. I think I, that's what I really like about the movie. I think the movie is extremely derivative. It felt like four different other movies that I'd seen all kind of taken ideas from and put into one. That's really fair. Uh, and because I had a friend that I recommended it to who had the exact same reaction. Um, and he goes, wow, this is like every horror trope and the kitchen sink. Yeah. And, but again, it's, it's funny. I think we talk, you know, when we get into uh, talking about films that some people love and some people don't, it is, does come down to taste is, do that thing you don't like about it. I love they were throwing a lot of stuff into the mix because like you have zombie moments where he's getting chased out in the woods, which is a complete zombie, like fast zombie scene. Um, you have the ring, you have Candyman. Um, the stuff on the compound, not to jump too far ahead that you just called like a zombie scene. It also reminded me of Kill List a whole lot. Yeah, Kill List. And actually Kill List is a big, is a big thing with like, with the kind of you know secret societies. There's yeah. Lovecraft all over it. There's a lot of Clyde Barker shit going on in this movie yeah. too. There's straight up Lovecraft uh, cosmic stuff. There's True Detective, like King and Yellow stuff going on. All the procedural shit is like straight out of like True Detective, like David Fincher, like Zodiac stuff to where it's like, how do I just fall down these rabbit holes? There were shots of it that reminded me of uh, The Descent. Uh, I feel like a lot of the plot points or general ideas could have been taken directly from hereditary or midsummer. Well, and that was, that is one thing that I do want to talk about is that Martin, we kind of had this discussion when we were talking about Sundance movies and censor in particular to where every movie, so many horror movies nowadays are basically, Oh, it's, it's all a metaphor for trauma, which honestly the empty man still kind of fits into but the thing I think that makes it different from, say, like Ari Oster's stuff or Censor, as we just saw, or any of Baba these Duke movies that Baba Duke that feel like they're heightened, quote unquote, horror, like this is just pulp. Like it feels like, to me, the best way that I could describe it, it's what I threw up on Letterboxd too, is this feels like David Fincher adapting like one of those tour horror paperbacks from the 80s to where it's just like, yeah. All the cliches and all of the the plot points that, that, that you, quote-unquote, say are derivative are totally there, but this is using them to achieve something kind of more thoughtful in the end because once you toss all of the kind of purple dialogue into the mix, all of the hyper-portentiousness, all of the fucking long like procedural stuff, the 22-minute... like. <laughs> intro like it's so idiosyncratic. i wish the whole movie was the intro i liked that a lot no absolutely not like that's i would have been on board for that no way 
like that. I love that the movie has 25 minutes and like the mountains. And then it's like, oh yeah, 20 years later, here we are. And it's just kind of like, that's the kind of idiosyncrasy that I'm looking for in a movie nowadays. And the fact that this passed through the studio system, albeit barely passed through the studio system in the end. Like, I, I love it. Like, this is the type of movie that I live for because I, I think it's doing a lot of different stuff that just is like mind-blowingly fun. Mystery horror is my favorite. Like, you know, horror, they say, is not a genre on its own. It has to kind of be linked with another genre. Like, you know, mystery sci-fi or mystery action or horror, horror action. I like horror uh, mystery like this. And it's I agree. so like, it. It is. I mean, very much. I consider the ring a horror mystery. You yeah. know, where it's it's you sure. know, you start with a thing. Oh, very similar to a missing kid or a dead kid, and kind of going down into this world that you know is very a lot of similarities to Samara and also Candyman and Bloody Mary. You know, an urban legend, creepy pasta. Creepy, yeah. You know, and what I like, like I think what you're saying is so right on because again, it's it's a taste thing. You know, it, for me. I like I collect those tour horror paperbacks and like one of my favorite writers is Charles L. Grant and he wrote like 300 books under different pseudonyms but he was a guy though who didn't have time to like always have like an original thought so he would pull in these tropes but he'd mix them up every single time to be able to do that much and I love that he was just like a workman who's like I have, I have three weeks to finish this book. And he just like pumps out this insanity because he's under a rush. And this one also, this film is uneven. It's messy at times, but that's why I like it. I wouldn't call it a perfect film by any means. No, but that's the stuff that makes it real interesting because even though storytelling wise, it's messy and uneven, technically it's very precise. Like yeah. this movie, it's shot incredibly well. Like it's clear that David Pryor like took all of these lessons while basically making these behind the scenes featurettes from masters like fucking Fincher and Ridley Scott and Cronenberg. And was like, it was almost, I don't want to put words into his mouth because we're going to actually get to interview him so this week. For that. And like, but it feels like he almost ingested some of the stuff for the stylistic ticks, particularly from Fincher. Um, and then uh, almost metastasized that into like his own style in a way. Or metabolize is probably the better word there. Yeah, and it's interesting too. And like, you know, we can get on this later too, but like it's based on a comic book. And I, after I saw the film, I said, I really want to see what the comic book is like. And it's written by Colin Bunn um, for, who writes a lot of uh, horror and kind of like um, fantasy thriller stuff, usually for Boom Studios. And uh, I think there are three trades of this, but I read the first trade. I mean, Barely, besides the name, you could. There's a. There's very little similarity. Um, like, are any of the ideas present? Yes, like the, the whole idea of like. So the empty man idea. The empty man is a disease, and it is. A, it is but a like, virus. Uh, it's a, yeah. When it basically starts in the in the comic book, it's been working its way. Like, because if you get in the sequels to the Ring, it's like that. Where it's like a, a very like it's a virus that's made its way outside this group. It's like you know Samara very much is trying to be a virus in the in the uh, the books. Like and they do in Ring Two, we just got all the videotapes they, out there. Yeah, they show, yeah. But, but but more well done, you know. Uh, what Zeta was great. I was oh no, I know, no, I'm, I, I, I know idea. you were, but yeah, it's they, you know, they didn't fuck it up in the books. But um, you know, the comic book is very much like it's it's already the virus has been going on for I think like months, and it's two cops who are just like kind of running behind, like what what is this thing? Like it, you know, it affects people. They don't know why they don't know why the empty man affects some people. and doesn't affect others. 
Um, it makes some people go crazy. It makes some people like change their body form. It's much more like there's like stuff with like full on, like not even like visions, like Lovecraftian, like amorphous monsters coming from ceilings and then fucking firing guns at it. It's much more action based at moments too. Okay. But it was cool because it was like, in, I think they could exist in the same world. Like it, it doesn't like, you know, contradict anything from the movie, but the movies has like, you could tell it's like, it seems like they hired him and he's like, I got a pitch, but I'm going to kind of do my own thing completely. Yeah. Like, like he, I he took the basic idea and it's there because the, the movie itself is about, we basically open with these kids who are in Bhutan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're climbing the mountains kind of on, you know, this hipster sojourn, let's say. Um, and one falls into a cave, finds this horrible, skeleton monster alien looking yeah that looks like and that's the thing I, again to draw from like one of the masters that he worked with it it reminds me of the scene of the space jockey an alien yeah well, where, the design alone yeah, yeah exactly but also just like looking upon it and then being just kind of in awe of its its bizarre kind of majesty what was the artist's name that created that whole hr uh, giger yeah, yeah it was yeah. very giger yeah like yeah, and it does. It's a, that's a good pull. It's a it's a very Giger esque skeleton. Let's say it's got like twenty fingers on it. Yeah, interlaced right it's, in front of its body. It, that the fucking forehead on it is like gnarled and almost elongated, yeah. and like there's water dripping onto the skull, which then like comes out of the eye hole. Yeah, and also he keeps focusing on all of these very granular details in the cave, like the ants swarming around, and, right the way that water, like you just pointed out, is kind of dripping down the walls. But again, this is all the shit that I find to be like cracked where I'm like, oh, like from the opening moments and especially when they're walking along that giant rope bridge at first, which again, bridge becomes, uh, bridges become like a visual mo- motif throughout the entire movie. Yeah, it's representing between one world and the yeah, next. exactly. Well, that and uh, quite literally to where like you have that bridge and you have the bridge with the kids later on and you have the bridge with the accident yeah, at from, the end. Yeah. Well, that and the 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 vessel and the the vessel itself is supposed to be a bridge yeah. that the entity uses. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like, you know, th- this dude basically gets stuck down there, like, and entranced by this thing that's there. His friends pull them out, even though he basically warns them not to. Um, if you touch me, you're dead. Yeah, if you touch me, you're dead. Because he's kind of like silently chanting over and over again. They take refuge in this house. And then they start seeing things. Specifically, they see something that almost looks like the Grim Reaper. It's only the one girl them. that sees it, though, it's right? Don't, the other two don't. Just well, the... she sees it, but then other people, they because they say you hear him right away. So they start like hearing things like on the mountain. But because, it's only her because she blew. Yeah. She blew into the thing. So she also helped call him and... Well, it all ends with horribly with basically everyone dying, we think. And then we jump ahead, what? 23 years? Yeah, it's like 90. Oh, no, 30 years. Because that, the... It's 90, so it's like 25 years. Okay. Yeah. Is it... Yeah, either way, we jump ahead a couple decades, let's say. And we're with James Badge Dale, who's a haunted ex-cop, who... Not very haunted. Is... What do you mean? You you get the flashbacks, sure, but he doesn't seem all that affected. He just kind of seems like a... Monarch. Really? Yeah. I, I feel like he's pretty fucked up. I didn't like, feel like he was all that tortured. He's taking the medications and he's got his wedding ring in the medicine cabinet still, but he still seems like he's going through his day to day. Oh no. They're they're <laughs> but the thing is like maybe he didn't pick maybe he didn't didn't play for you, but like they're very much like again, playing on tropes and like 
cop movie tropes of like the grizzle, the way the way he dresses. Yeah, drinking, he doesn't shave. Yeah, drinking, drinking, and like you tell this guy's in pain because of something. And well, and and there's the, the whole opening scene with his with the the neighbor's daughter before she goes like missing, where he's like, that's mostly what I'm pulling off of though. Is like he seems very like. You know, she's like, "How are you?" And do you, you know, do you ever think that thoughts are just like the this ancient echoes of the universe that transfer through the antenna that is your body or whatnot? And he's just like, "Yeah, I'm cool. What are you? What?" Well, and maybe that's like also it might be a, there's a there's a, a badge daleness to his performances. A badge daleness where he he's badge dale esque. He's badge dale esque, um, badge dalean, but he. Uh, he definitely brings this kind of like, you know, this like, every man, every man, but kind of schmucky thing whenever sure. he's in a movie. And he's just always like, like, there's a lot like of, he literally pays for the schmucky. meal where we, he's, <laughs> where we first meet him with a free coupon. Well, he's a got, birthday coupon. Yeah. That was, he's had for quite a time. It's all beat up in his wallet and faded. Well, he's got that. And then there's even later on, like they let him have these funny moments where he first goes to the Pontifex society and checking in. He's like, what is it? He goes, oh, this is the beginning of, okay, we've been here since the beginning of time. And he's like, okay, cool. You know, yeah. and just like does this. Okay, like, great. And he's great at that, but maybe he's a little bit too spunky at moments in the movie. But I think the film is supposed to be, he's like fucked up. Yeah. Like, cause if the, he's been built, we'll get into, you know, what happened, but you know, he just doesn't feel like he's carrying a weight to me of somebody who lost his wife and child. I don't know, man, that, that, yeah, I don't know that opening scene where he, because the, the whole plot, hinges around the two hour and 20 minute movie hinges around him being called in by his neighbor because her daughter goes missing and he promises her that he'll go find her and we get a sense that there's history between them there and that's what kind of unfolds but to me that first scene like both with the the next door neighbor's daughter and then the scene with the mom those are the scenes that really set the stage for me for him as a character to where I'm like Something's fucked up with this guy. And then he's having these continual visions of a car accident involving. Yeah. And like these whispers of where were you over and over again with it, with a young mother and a child, which were supposed to right away kind of recognize, oh, that's his wife and kid who are probably dead. When he was talking with neighbor girl on the bench by his uh, not clean pool. Did either of you think that was his daughter for a second? Like he and his wife had been divorced or something? Yes, that's okay. what that was my initial reading of it. And All then right. you find out that it was. Because it took me a second um, on my first viewing to realize she was his neighbor and not his ex-wife. Well, she's kind of old looking. Yeah. Too. Well, the, well, sorry, the girl. I don't know the girl. The uh, daughter or the, the... The daughter looks a little bit older too. Okay. Like she, True. She has a very... Well, she's had a mature, which you get into later. Very, she could be uh, between 16 and 25. No, but seriously. I mean, yeah. I think she is like that all real life, but she's like... That fucking bowl cut doesn't help I was going to say it doesn't help that her, her haircut makes her head look like She a looks like Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> Ew. She's <laughs> the ugliest person. Just Finn Wolfsoft. Yeah, but... <laughs> but, you know, I think... But, you know, to Kenny, what you're talking about, you know, he follows this... He basically follows the string down into... Um, Trying to figure out where she went, and first, the first stop is kind of along a Slender Man, the Ring yeah. kind of. All kids got involved in a Legend of the Empty Man, where you all are on a bridge together. On you know, again, the bridge at night, at night, and you all blow into a bottle, say the empty, you know, Empty Man, Empty Man, Empty Man, and then you throw. Do it. you have to say it, or is it just you blow into the bottle thinking about the? Empty yeah, man? they don't. They don't define the rules the best. 
Like, yeah. because I agree with you <laughs> because I couldn't figure out 100% like what, cause you blow in it. Cause I thought it was what you just said to where you think about it. And then she sits down in the middle of the bridge and she whispers it over and over. And I was like, so is it like a Candyman thing? Like what the fuck's going on here? Right. But again, I don't care because I, the thing that I really like about this movie is that these segments become like set pieces to where, cause the way that, Oh my God, the way he shoots that bridge scene where it's all at like this bizarre twilight hour. It was some, beautiful. Some the, green screen kind of going, but purposefully. Yeah. Like it, it, it's almost seems like that moonlighting. Like, yeah, I couldn't figure out like how he got those colors outside of just color correction in post, but my God, it just looks amazing the entire time. And weird, but, really weird and otherworldly. But again, to go back to Cody's idea of like the bridge and stuff too, is that like, that was for me, one of the big visual clues of like, Oh, this is what we're doing. Like, this is the idea of, like, bridging two different worlds together with, like, this ghostly kind of uh, urban legend that they're playing with. But at the same time, I, like, I just love that set piece because, like, I sat there and even watching it last night again in bed with the lights on, I was like, this is creeping me out. Like, this movie's fucked up. And then the end result, again, is really gross it's gross and and you move again i like your idea of set piece it's very you know like a good genre film it's very episodic yeah you know and and it being that long like it's it's funny that i'm for two people who spend a lot of time like during sunday it's being like under 90 minutes i'm in you know we we talk about like a good 75 minute thriller perfect and but then it's also like or you can just kind of cook and go for it like this movie and like zodiac like zodiac and this this is that was great this film doesn't know what it knows what it is but it's like it it's it's epic like even the opening scenes like of course they couldn't go to Bhutan. you could tell there's some cgi stuff when they're on the bridge and when they're sure. on, but it's like they probably shot that in like the american west you know and or even yeah. montana or something and, no totally or even california but or even a sound stage <laughs> yeah well we've got some of the exterior stuff no, yeah no he, i get, I get right? what you're saying but they you know he does it he also like you could tell has to control like again working with fincher maybe using CGI in a realistic way to just like fill out your sets. Yeah. You know, not in a way of like big, you know, sweeping stuff that you don't have the money to pay for. Like, cause like the one shot of the, the clouds coming in, it's kind of crappy, you know, just didn't have the money for it. It's not bad. But... Yeah. Th- there's a couple effects sequences. And again, I, I chalk it up to like this movie was dumped by the theaters. Like they probably could have poured a little bit of extra time and budget into it, but they just didn't give a shit. Yeah. So yeah, there's a couple like compositing things that don't quite work. And then some CGI effects, especially towards the end involving uh, Badgedale's character and the, the empty man and that kind of final confrontation, like is a little wonky, but again, I don't care. Yeah. It's very like, and you, and you go from the empty man or the kind of, uh, Slender Man uh, kind of narrative, creepypasta narrative into, you know, a, a very Cronenberg-y way, uh, the way that they present the uh, the Pontifex Institute Society yeah. in the way they... they you, mean, you mean the Church of Scientology? That's not what it is at all. Like, it's 100%... It looks exactly like the Church of Scientology building. No. They use a lot of the same, uh, you know, term changes to, to have their own... I, I think it's an allegory for or not an allegory. I, I, I think I, it's a representation of Church of Scientology. I don't think so at all. all I right. think it's uh it's you kinda hit the nail on the head. It reminds me a lot of the the, the brood. 
um, with the, uh, the, the the Raglan Institute. Yeah, the Raglan <laughs> Institute and the way you had Oliver Reed uh, playing this kind of guru, the self-help guru who was also had some, let's say, possibly nefarious intent behind it. But that's where I don't see any Scientology at all. I think it's like it's there on like a very basic like I'm not digging surface level, but like it more resembles to me like the culty stuff that Cronenberg got into with like not only the brood, but even stuff like M Butterfly to where like the singers became like their own secret society. Um, when he would get you into like crash uh, with the the society of like the people who would stage these car crashes, yeah. like it's very concerned with these ideas of these pockets that exist right before our eyes that we don't necessarily see. Uh, because man, that's my favorite sequence in the movie. Like last night, when fucking Stephen Root comes into the movie as like the leader of this this Pontifex cult, and he has that giant monologue up front about purpose and the universe and then he has that that uh very portentous dialogue with james badgetail about the void and the idea of like well if you're looking into the void there's the idea that maybe the void is looking back to you at you but therefore what would draw you to the void and what would draw the void back to you? And I'm just sitting there like, yes, put it in my veins. Like just inject all this fucking existential nonsense. Well, it's very much, it's funny. Cause like, that's my, if you put a secret society slash cult in a movie, I will like it. Like, like, <laughs> like it's one of those things. Like if you're like, like, I was writing the script like last year and there was no room in my script, but I was like, I'm going to put a secret society in here and it doesn't work, but I want it to because they just like, it adds this sense of depth to, I think a good, a good thriller or a good horror film of history. Like it actually, in a lot of ways reminded me of the, um, the religion and the, and the monsters from the, the, the dead space video game series, um, for PlayStation. So dead space one, two and three, and basically in that it's it's a sci-fi horror but it's very event horizony but there's a cult that believes uh, in a singularity in a similar way where eventually we will all be one but like kind of physically <laughs> like it's more body horror-ish but it's that idea to uh, you know achieve nothingness and and it was interesting too is I think there are like he's pulling on so much stuff even outside of horror in this and like obviously Cronenberg's non-horror stuff but there are like um like Conan the Barbarian references in this. I think the opening scene when they're in the cave is a very, is the, is the um, Atlantean sword scene. And the way he shoots it is very similar to the way Millie oh, yeah. shot when he's in front of this skeleton with the sword. Um, and also later on, the idea of achieving emptiness is very much Thulsa Doom's like uh, belief system. Um, and I'm just thinking there's, there's stuff he's, again, he's pulling on pulp. He's pulling on like Lovecraft. He's also pulling on like Robert E. Howard, like 1930s weird fiction, weird tale stuff. Oh, sure. You know, and I'm excited to ask him about all this. It feels like he's the kind of guy who's just like digested decades and decades of, of genre material of the highest brow and the lowest. You know what I mean? And you, I think it's like why I like it too is what we talked about with Sundance. There are films that are like almost embarrassed to be a horror movie, you know, or if someone's saying I'm going to or I have something really important to say. This also isn't a message movie. It's just like. Uh, it's it's there's good character stuff and good thematic stuff but beyond that it's just a good like horror mystery 
it gets you gets you caught up. And the other thing that I I would add though is that this is very much about something, and it's a thing that. So we're gonna sit here, and I'm sure David Pryor, when we talk to him, is going to have some choice words about the studios sitting on his movie, and uh, you know, we can be disappointed in it as well, but. <laughs> Trying to watch it from the other side of that boardroom table, which I tried to put my mindset in with a couple scenes, is that I, I don't know what I would do with this movie if I was an executive at a, as a stu- at like a studio. I would look at it and be like, "Well, what do I do with this? Like, what what the fuck did you just turn in?" Because like the main hook of the mystery is it's a movie about suicide. It's literally about you know, the empty man becomes communicable and and picks its vessels that it wants to inhabit, which we'll get to kind of later in that they've given up on life. And that's what the James Badge Dale Dale stuff is all about. And even the guy, you know, who he first takes over in the beginning in, in the uh, Bhutan mountains is that he has the cuts on his arms. And even his friends are like, is he been okay? Like, has he relapsed at all? And it's this incredibly melancholy two-hour and 20-minute mystery about should you or should you not give up on existence. And it's like, yeah, cool. Like, I'm real into that. But, like, if I was trying to sell this movie, I'd be like, I don't know who this is for. Like, Well, it's, it's a very, like, purpose, like, nihilistic thing going on. where they, Yeah. Like, their their belief system is, like, not, not only does nothing matter, nothing's real. Like it's that, and we share each other in the nothingness. Yeah, yeah, because the Pontifex Institute is all about this like shared consciousness and worshiping because they worship the empty man. Like that's the idea. They worship his chaotic nothingness, and that's essentially what the back half of the movie becomes about: is him chasing down this belief system uh, through the rabbit hole and like finding the daughter, and then finding out that she's part of this system, and then. Ultimately, finding out: Do we want to get how heavy into spoilers? Do we Let's want to get? stop there. I think, yeah, like I, I you know, because I, I do. I, I, I hope one of the things that you know, one of the reasons I wanted to also cover this for the podcast we talked about is like, I want people to watch this movie. I, yeah. I, I really, you know, and I think there's, there is a, a uh, I had no idea, and I think I, again we talked earlier, like I wrote it off as like a Slender Man ripoff. The trailer, I don't like the trailer. And I thought, again, no, they, it's kind not of, good. They, they kind of dumped it out. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, I'm never going to watch that. And when you said watch it, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get to it again. And it just, it's doing its own thing. Yeah. And that's 100% what I'm here for. Yeah. So, all right. We'll just leave the ending. Cody, you got anything? What is the empty man's motivation? What is he What is he going for? What's his end game? Well, they, they say basically he wants, he's, I mean, he's, He's not evil. He's nothingness, but he wants to bring chaos to the world. Like it's what well, it's not even. They the say em- that he's a, he's a messenger, and everybody's an antenna, right? Right. But, or or he's or he's the antenna, and we're the receivers of so of. of he, but but everybody, everything that's ever happened, is echoed in the, some empty verse. The, the Noah sphere. Yeah. So no. So the, the idea is that um, 
again, this, I don't want to get into spoilers, but the Empty Man is not the monster. The Empty Man is like the person who can carry the monster. They, they're the carrier signal. Like they're right. they're looking for the Empty Man. The Empty Man right now is that guy who's in the hospital bed. That's the Empty Man. Right. Yeah. And the there's a being, and they're getting very Lovecrafty in here. You know, is very much the way that Cthulhu speaks to you in your dreams. You know, it's the only way he can. He's you know he's floating. He's living on the bottom of the ocean. Um, sleeping, but he's, he can speak to you during your dreams, that every nightmare you've had, every um, deja vu is from the noosphere because that's where all our thought, all of you know, one consciousness lives, but also he's there. Like, I mean, if I was to boil it down to like a very simple explanation, to me, the empty man or like the being that inhabits the empty let's, man. Let's just say that the, em, the, the empty man is the being and then the vessel is the person. The, the just, deity just for, that they essentially worship. Yeah. This, this all, uh, this all consuming nothingness and this chaotic being to me, it's, it's the idea of the antithesis of faith to where God brings you to believing and brings you to having hope in the universe. And the empty man's ultimate goal is to draw you to the idea that nothing matters that there is no hope that nothing you actually do is worth anything which leads to a chaotic existence and ultimately i mean you could extrapolate from there but you could think about it in terms of like societal decay and and the fall of of civilizations and everything is just once you lose lose faith in not only institutions and society but in yourself there's nothing left and that's that this, he becomes the the ultimate guiding void. But the deity is doing that breakdown of society and chaos, or bring the bringing about of chaos through organization and a religious group. Well, no, the the being doesn't no, organize. We we yeah, we it, organize. It, is, it is a force. We as you know the way that you know. So really, wouldn't that be going against the forces? But how you in, how you interpret it is is the being doesn't control how you interpret it. What I think is really cool, and I, I see you're going, Cody. Is I then I would think about this film is that you know the being is you know is like they say a thought older than time right it is right. it is uh it might even be a being it's it's like it is a an energy it is a thought and process. it's not it's it's one of many too they alluded to the fact that it's there are many others like this isn't the only one right and it's very again very Lovecraftian the Lovecraftian mythos is they're the old the old gods right. that are you know older than time before the fucking Big Bang yeah um and they're all floating out there and we have you know but. The way humans, like you said, the film is also about the way humans um, build belief systems, and one of them is creepypastas, like and, and urban legends. So you hear a thing, and they, they, you have one thing as kids building this very infant or very adolescent, which we've all done, of you know, like Bloody yeah. Mary. The other one is a, like you said, some somewhat Scientology-like organization, right? Of we're gonna we're gonna like organize, we're gonna be in suits. And you have these different layers, and so I think it's, that's kind of what I'm getting from the film too. Is that he's he's sending a signal out, and what we do with it is, a very, is we're still human, you know. But everyone's trying to get to a point where they can be empty enough to achieve that nothingness as well, or just to be consumed by him when he's finally here. Is that yeah. is that a place for you too? To a degree, yeah. It's just to me, I I don't think about it in in straight terms let's say to me it's less of a a narrative thing than it is more of a concept and a feeling yeah. than anything else um so again the mechanics of it don't matter why right, does no, it, I, why does the empty man kill some of the people that blow in bottles 
that's one of the they kill each other now the one girl killed herself in the sauna stabbed herself in the face a bunch with the scissors yeah one of, one of the things one of the reviews i read that had their trouble was the the logic because you watch like the ring and it's very clear like you know seven days and it's very clear like yeah. if you watch it this is how long you have and they make this one i feel like kind of brushes past that and you're saying it kind of doesn't matter because i i think to, if one of the reasons i like that in the film is that it's not about that like it, watching the trailer you might think oh this is going to be like a ring yeah. kind of retread but I think he's using whatever system of carrier system he can to get through any of the stories they tell, and it doesn't have to be consistent. Is right? That, is that is that fair? Yeah, yeah. And 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 again, I, you know, but on the other hand, I totally understand someone saying, like, "What well, doesn't make sense? It's not logically connected." Yeah. You know, um, I guess that's what I had trouble with. It just didn't all add up for me. Yeah. You want to do questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> Thank you for coming. For a second there, I thought you were about to say Namaste. I can if you like. No, 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 please, please, please. I grew up in San Francisco. Ah. But towards the end, you did say... The empty man. That's right. It's an interesting phrase. You could say he called out to you. Or not. Hmm. What does it mean? The empty man is a meditation. Focal point for the targeted manifestation of hidden energies. Right, and already you're starting to lose me. Just as man feeds and is fed by the biosphere, the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So it is our thoughts feed and are fed by the noosphere. The noosphere. The sum mm -hmm. of all conscious thought, transmission from which can be stimulated through the application of certain vectors, very much like a virus. You can't see it. Well, what is the veil between form and flesh and the means by which it can be pierced and the two allowed to co-mingle. <laughs> We're each of us blind in our way. Distractions rob us of focus. Technology robs us of memory. Repetition robs us of comprehension. You know, the child's game. You say your name enough times, it becomes gibberish. That holds true for whole concepts, even entire bodies of thought. For example, take, take Nietzsche's old line. If you stare into an abyss, it also stares into you. Right? Well, <laughs> that has been rendered meaningless through repetition. It's a... Refrigerator magnets, cliche, it's harmless. But when was the last time you really thought about that? What is an abyss? And if you stare into it, why? <laughs> what about it calls to you? If it stares into you, it stands to reason something in you must also be calling to it. And that, my friend, is anything but harmless. If you really reflect on it. So the question becomes, if profound meaning can be robbed of something by so simple a task as repetition, which is more fundamental, which is more true, your name or the gibberish, that is the empty man. 
I'm so glad you came back. Hope you stay longer this time. Never been here before. Hmm. There must be something about you. We're back with questions about the empty man. Martin, this is your show. Shoot. So, um, you know, watching what we talked about earlier, that there are, you know, obvious connections to films like The Ring and Candyman, uh, curse films. I was wondering where, for both of you, it, it ranks on the curse film list, if you want to consider that. Obviously, it's got its own thing, but when it comes to that aspect of the film, where do you put it? Okay, how are we defining cursed films? Are we like, are we talking about like urban legends? Are we talking about cursed media? An, an item that gives you a time yeah, limit. like I, I yeah. Let's 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 myopically narrow. Yeah, what you're talking. You're about. right because I, I think probably cursed media is the best way to go. Okay, but, but Candyman doesn't really match that. Yeah, maybe, because, maybe urban legend, maybe urban legend movie. Ooh, man. Okay, I know my pick. Cody, you go first. No, you know yours. You go first. I gotta think about it. Oh, Videodrome. Mm. The number one, because I feel like it's both. And I think that it actually links with this movie really well, because as we were talking about with Cronenberg, with the secret societies, uh, the cursed media with like him, you know, Max Wren finding the pirated transmission, uh, you know, and how it's just nothing but torture and murder and how that basically infects the mind of anybody who watches it and causes them to have hallucinations and bodily changes and the cancer gun. And like, that's the, uh, I don't think it's Cronenberg's best movie. Um, that's my favorite though, but it's, I mean, I have it tattooed on my right arm for a reason. Like Videodrome is like one of those like formative, like, oh shit, I see the world and I see movies in like a totally different way after seeing this for the first time. So that's 100% like my pick. Like you don't, you don't beat Videodrome. Like I love The Ring. I love, you know, Candyman if we're throwing that into the urban legend stuff. Uh, but like Videodrome all the way. Wait, did we fall on urban legend or did we fall on? Let's do both. Just they can do both. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Because um, this combines. There's not yeah. so much cursed media in this one. This is more urban legend. But even Videodrome becomes an urban legend because the way they even talk about it is that they're like, Videodrome is something else. It has a philosophy. <laughs> it has something you do not. A philosophy. I don't even know if it plays into it, but I'll say The Grudge. The Grudge is like one of my top. That's I like, a pretty good I, I like one. The Grudge over The Ring. I mean, they're they're both still the ring's still great in its own right, but I like the Grudge more. The Grudge had a lot. I think more it's of scarier. A, oh, I think it's a lot fucking scarier. Yeah, like the this the, the, the body slam the voice. The just the, the, oh yeah, uh, and there's the. I don't know. When she's in the bed, she's in the bed and nope. lifts up the sheet. Nope. And it's already like right nope. there. <laughs> well, we, we also haven't gotten into the fact how like this movie is basically an American J horror movie. Yeah. The Empty Man, like it has so much J horror influence in it, and like the way he shoots stuff with the wide lenses and like the stillness and that shot of like finding all the kids fucking hun like hung under the bridge. Like that's straight out of like a lost J horror movie or like an American reinterpretation. Say, it's, it feels yeah. like an, it feels like you said like an American one from like just the like early two thousands, like that era when they were bringing that over. Just like, yeah, the like Gore Verbinski, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Where he brought his own style, but it definitely had the, cause I, so for me, I mean, my number one is Candyman. I it's a film for me. I'm a huge Clive Barker fan. Um, also, a monstrous like Philip Glass fan. So that movie just kind of comes together with a lot of things that I 
that I love. Um, also, it's just, it does some interesting things with, you know, why we tell urban legends. So also, obviously, it's very interesting stuff on race that it's in that film. But this is actually up there. I mean, I think it, what I, again, it, it mixes. It's not only about that. Um, but, you know, I think Candyman, I, I really do just love the American remake of The Ring. I think Verbinski has killed it. And um, I like the original Japanese. I like the novel. But I think that would probably be mine. Good pick. Yeah. I mean, Candyman's a masterpiece. Oh, it's amazing. Did Raimi do The Grudge? You know, his brother was in it. He produced it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was part of his production. Company. Who directed it? It was the director of the of the, the Japanese one. They okay. brought him over. Well, good. Well, um, and then the new one they just did was, what's his name? Nicholas Pesce. It's terrible. It's one of the worst films <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. I almost walked out of the theater. Oh, wow. Like, I was like, oh, is this smart or really bad? And I'm like, 20 minutes in, I'm like, oh, this is... Cause the audience started to laugh. We were all like, oh, this is garbage. I remember kind of liking it. No, I hated it. Okay. I mean, you're in the majority. Like, I remember reading everybody being like... This is terrible. There's just one basic person we all know that really loved it. So you're on the same side as them. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> that makes me feel bad. <laughs> you should feel bad. I'm so curious. What um, could that be? You used to live with him. So let's talk about, I want to talk about the opening real quick, which you mentioned of this, you know, 20, 25 minute prologue. Um, I think it's one of the highlights of the film, like you talked about, where it's like this hard cut. You finally see the credits, like, oh, shit, now the movie's starting. Um, off of that, what is your favorite opening horror scene slash prologue that just, like, starts a movie, horror movie right? It can be any era. Um, it could just be an opening scene you just think, like, sets the tone for the movie. But I think this one really sets the tone, but the fact that it is a completely different location, you can even go off that as well. And I have mine, but... I'll, I'll, I'll take this one if you don't mind. Um, the Descent, I mentioned it earlier. Yeah. That's one of my favorite uh, horror movies. That car crash is so well, fucking Exactly gnarly. what I'm talking about, because her and the family white water rafting, and they're driving, and then the uh, the pipe goes through the windshield, and you see it like from the back yep. seat, and it comes Brain through the headrest. And... Yeah. Well, that Whoa. sequence in the hospital afterwards, too, where like the, the lights are lights chasing them. Like, yeah, there's the birthday that's cake awesome. and the candle. That's a great start. Yeah. Neil Marshall, man, never never regained that level of greatness again. Did you hear what he said this week? No. We're doing Dog Soldiers 2. Oh, great. <laughs> he, he didn't do uh, Descent 2. No, he? he did not. Okay. No. He produced it. But it was yeah. real bad. Yeah, who knows? What's yours? Oh, Scream. Mm. Like, I, not to be basic, but I mean, like, Scream is... That that opening sequence is yeah. iconic for a reason. Or I mean, like honestly, again, to be basic and jump off a scream. I mean, it's Halloween too. Yeah, like uh, you can't really beat either of those. Like, wait, wait, are you saying Halloween number two or Halloween also? No, Halloween also. Okay, just like clarify. yeah, the the Carpenter Halloween, like the original Halloween, like the tracking shot to, that introduces yes. and then reveals Young Myers is like. I mean, that's that's one of the greatest moments in all of cinema. So that scream. Um, I mean, I love eh, American Werewolf's not so much an intro because that's kind of protracted a little bit. But if we're just talking about like almost like a cold stinger. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't beat Scream or, or Halloween. Yeah. And if mine's not quite a cold stinger, but mine's kind of like a prologue. Although they, Candyman has a great one, too. Very much yeah. so. Yeah, they're kind of telling the story. Um, mine is more of a prologue, and it's it's The Exorcist. I um, I really like... Yeah, one, I mean, that's an all-timer. One of the things I like about <laughs> Freakin' in that era is his three films in the 70s all start 
overseas. Yeah, I was going to bring up Sorcerer to where it Sorcerer has Sorcerer and French Connection. Yeah, and it has the vignettes in Sorcerer. And it's just like you start and it, and it brings you into where you're going to end up being. And I, I think The Exorcist is great because it shows the very similar to this one. I thought of The Exorcist watching this of an evil from another place that comes and attacks like a, a small town or, you know, Georgetown's not a small town, but it, it attacks the American home. Sure. Um, but it's that very much thing that there's a curse that in a similar way you have, you know, the statue of Pazuzu, the idea that Pazuzu almost like lives in Iraq. They feel like he's almost been, you know, woken up there and is traveling across the globe. So for me, it's like a, a really strong, and then just that hard cut too from the wilds of Iraq to, you know, Georgetown. To a, a, a dinner party. Yeah. Just to, Adam Sandler's butthole. Yeah. And un, like, cause uncut gems totally takes the exorcist prologue and like I does its own thing with it too. Well, it's funny when I saw uncut gems, I said, this is a freak can opening. I said, it yeah. reminded me a lot of sorcerer. I'm a lot of, of, of exorcist as well. Of like start again, they love new Hollywood shit. So it's like that same way of like starting a big foreign land and then kind of come yeah. into, then go into the cosmos and then go into a colonoscopy. I love that shit. Um, okay. So, I'm going to start with Cody for this one. Yep. If you had a curse on you and you had five days to live, what would you do? Now, here's the two ways you can do it. The whole of things you would do in your last five days, or how would you try to break that curse? Uh, it's hard to tell you what the exact curse is. Yeah. Well, let's just say it's the ring curse that you get You get a call and you have five days. So I have seven days. Seven days to live. I'm going to go try to track that tape down because <laughs> at least I know what it is. Like that's some, uh, or I'm sorry, I'm going to try and go find the well and get her out of it. Uh, I want to keep living. I don't, I don't want to just, cause like fucked up shit's still happening to you during the seven days. It's not like you yeah. can just go like hang out on a beach. It's not Mexico. a vacation. No, it is not. You're getting haunted by <laughs> dead horses and shit. I had, that, I had that thought too, to where I was like, oh, I, I can't just hand, hand, like, yeah, hang out and do blow and eat sandwiches. It's not like it's like, a cancer diagnosis where, I mean, obviously that's not an easy thing to live with either, but uh, yeah, you're not finding your niece dead in a closet with a petrified face and i guess the question i've had too is like how do you think you'd handle it i'm gonna have my answer but just like if you got that call, panic and disbelief yeah uh no nah, it's not it's not real this isn't mm, come on that's movie stuff this is this, this is real life this is real life right here that we're living this is not some and then you know weird shit starts happening you're like all right i gotta go find a well i like when cody does voices <laughs> <laughs> jacob what about you I don't know, man. Like, I kind of agree with Cody is that I would probably try and track down like whatever's doing this to me and kill it because that that seven days isn't it's not a cakewalk. Like you you can't just hang out and have beers and try to like have sex with everything that moves or whatever. You, this you isn't the plane is coming out of your or whatever. Eyelids. Yeah, like this sucks. Um, so I'd probably try to track that girl down in the well. That would punch her in the face. I'd be like, you did this to me. You're out of the well now. But I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. I did not put you in the well. I did. Yeah. Why is this my fault? <laughs> I think I'm that guy. I just movie. watched a VHS. You know how hard it was to find a VHS player. It was very difficult. I like, would probably just kill myself. Honestly, like I'm that guy. Jesus oh, Christ, Mark. damn. <laughs> not like not, mine's like going out like a bitch. No, like you're, uh, you're, you're, you're Bill Pullman. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not like I'm not I'm not day He's one. He's gonna launch yourself off the balcony. I'm not day one, but I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Like day three, I'll be like, this is too rough, and I'll I'll be I'll be out. These flies, man, I just couldn't deal. Yeah, damn. 
This show always gets fucking dark at one point or another. For record, I don't want to kill myself. I'm just saying that's what the situation. I'm like, I'm out. You oh, know, yeah, nobody took this as like Martin's going out soon. But well, like, that, that's kind of a, a plus of the advancement of technology these days. A la the ring. Uh, if she try, tries climbing out of your flat screen there, the TV's just going to tip over. She's going to be stuck. Yeah, it's true. There's a... Uh, yes, I would I would probably what I would do. Um <laughs> What, okay, All so, right, Martin, you are not oh. on my zombie apocalypse team. Oh, Martin, <laughs> Martin's one hundred percent. Like, you know what? I'm out. Well, you watch that scene where like uh, watches um, Killian Murphy finds his parents dead, and twenty days later, and they just yeah. took the pills. They're yeah. like, holding each other. Okay. Uh-huh. I would do that, but I'd be alone with chicken wings all over my stomach. Like I would have like one last dinner, and it was you just have to find half-eaten drumsticks on my body. Yeah, just just it, torso it, covered in blood and mango habanero sauce. Right, just like because I would just. This like, is your fault, Jacob. You got him that Buffalo Wild Wings like, gift card. I would, card. Make, I would <laughs> make I would make a strychnine. I would make a strychnine like ranch sauce, and I would just like dip my wings in there. And yeah, it's called a day. Thank God you don't have any pets. We would just come over and like find the cat licking ranch out of your belly button or something. <laughs> Either that or he takes the cat with him. Um, oh, we, we have a running joke in my house, me and Carrie, that we're like... Kitty. Like, Kitty 100% is eating one of us. Like, if we die and we're in the house alone, like, we, we've already given Kitty, like, signed permission. We're like, yeah, you can consume our corpse. And she's like... It'll mm-hmm. happen. Yep. It will happen. So, what other films do you two think... This is another question. Okay. Like this never really got the chance for some reason. It, it could be... They were chopped up, possibly in the editing room. They were mistreated by the studio, or or just like misunderstood by the audience, and just kind of not not um, not advertised the correct way. Sure. Who do you want to go first, Cody you, or no, me? You go. I got to think. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of obvious yeah. examples throughout time. Um, one of my personal favorites will always be Sorcerer, since we already kind of brought yeah. it up. Like trounced by star wars uh and notoriously troubled production the studio kind of hated the movie um like more or less forgotten for decades until we got that 4k remaster about whatever it was like six or seven years ago was even i mean that it was like four years ago I yeah think. it was when i live here oh yeah, yeah i mean like but still like that's decades after the movie came out you know and you watch it now and you're like this is one of the greatest cinematic accomplishments I've ever witnessed, but like that's 100% a great uh, example. I mean, uh, another obvious one would be, I mean, heaven's gate. Yeah. That was trounced, gonna be mine, honestly. trounced opening weekend. Vincent Camby just totally like basically does such a number on it that the studio pulls it and re-edits it. And it takes decades for it again to come out and criterion restores it all, puts out the near four hour release. And like that movie's a little more complicated, obviously because it's not the silver bullet that fucking sorcerer is like when you watch sorcerer and you're like, this is just great. Like heaven's gate is a difficult movie marred by a troubled over expensive like production and an auteur who was totally, it both in over his head and totally overzealous with his own vision. But like you watch heaven's gate now. Um, and like, it's just a movie kind of like this that like, yeah, we, we make the joke of like 80 minutes or less sold, but like you show me heaven's gate. I'm like four hours of hanging out in the old West <laughs> and like a roller skating rink. Fuck. Yeah. Give me that movie. I mean, another one that I think, failed initially and in hindsight 
it still might be earning the, the critical acclaim it deserves is Oliver Stone's uh, Nixon, mm. uh, which is arguably, I actually just rewatched it this weekend, the, again, near four-hour cut. Uh, but, like, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's his best movie um, because it's just, like, when that came out, like, nobody got what he was doing. Like, they thought, they were like, Oliver Stone, doing a movie about Richard Nixon. This is clearly going to be some kind of like scathing takedown or whatever. And then you watch it, particularly the extended director's cut. And it's a four hour Shakespearean tragedy that finds empathy with one of the most notorious and hated men in American history with a central performance that was initially like lambasted because Anthony Hopkins doesn't look anything like Richard Nixon, but he's totally doing and he's not even really doing a Nixon imitation. Like it's the same thing that when we just talked about with Christopher Plummer dying and uh, uh, I mean, think me and you were talking about a Martin with his, his Mike Wallace and Michael Mann's the insider is that it's one of those great uh, moments of great actors, not doing an interpretation or an imitation of real life historical figures, but they turn them into their own characters like Plummer's not doing a Mike Wallace imitation in in uh, the Insider. Like he just he's giving you a fucking performance and like his interpretation of real life. And to me, uh, Anthony Hopkins and Nixon is doing the same thing. It's just like, what would it be like to be this tragic figure who wanted nothing more than to be loved throughout his his like entire existence? And that lack of love kind of led to this historic downfall but that movie like nobody really got it and it was kind of a failure when it came out it's one of synergies like last pictures uh, you know before that company folded and it, it was a giant epic not epic failure but like it, it certainly wasn't a hit but that those would be my answers like those are the three the ones i go that i think fit well with the empty man because they're all fucking long as shit cody uh is that be any any genre, yeah. yeah that's fine, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Man from Uncle, the Guy Ritchie. Oh, follow. interesting. Yeah, uh, it was great with um, Henry Cavill and uh, the now you know somewhat troubled Army Hammer. Uh, I forget who the female lead is. In it. Cannibal Army Hammer. Yep. <laughs> Cannibal serial killer. It's Army uh, Hammer. No, it's um, why well, I forget her name from Ex Machina. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. I think the movie's like. It, it could probably lose like 20 minutes or so, like it drags in some spots. But overall, stylistically, uh, it's it's awesome. You know, it's taking you back kind of like Mod Squad days. And uh, Hammer and Cavill just play off each other so great as he's like, you know, a, a Russian guy and an American spy, like going like, you know, I'm, I'm more alpha. No, I'm more alpha. And it, it's it's a lot of fun. The story folds out cool. It's got and a that great did, soundtrack. That did fail pretty much like when it first came out, right? Now it's yeah. kind of been reevaluated in hindsight as being one of Richie's like very best movies. I think there was supposed to be a sequel in the works, but it's probably definitely not happening now. Oh, yeah. Well, certainly not with yeah. Army Hammer. Yeah, I don't remember hearing about it coming out when it came out. I think I caught it off like Amazon or something. I that was one now. of those that people like rented or watched on cable a yeah. whole bunch. Yeah. When I, I, watched it, I saw it on a plane. That was great. I saw it on a plane, but I really liked it. Yeah. I still don't like it because fuck Guy Richie, but... <laughs> So, so I think that the era of like new Hollywood is a good place to look. Um, I would probably say one from the heart. Um, oh, that's a great one. Just cause like 
you know, the first thing I think of, honestly, when I had my, I think Sorcerer was my first pick. Cause it's like, well, obviously, because it was just like trouble production and everything. But when I finally did see it, I'm like, what's the problem with this movie? Nothing. You know, I, it's just everything I want. And I just saw one from the heart over Christmas break, uh, this year. And I had the soundtrack. Actually, I like Tom Waits a lot. And my, and my buddy, Mike's like, I think you like the music and like the movie. And I had just watched Apocalypse Now and it's, you know, it's a, it's a weird fucking movie that you could also see Coppola be like, I'm going to shoot everything on sets, on my sets. And it's like, it's like, he's like, I'm going to go the complete opposite way of this, like in the, in the jungle filmmaking where I can control everything. Um, and it's just like a, it's like if La La Land were good, um, is the way I put it. In, in some ways, where it's, they're playing in similar sandboxes of like, oh, this is like a tribute to like classic Hollywood, but this is obviously telling an interesting story. And like, I think Fallen is just ass. So, um, yeah, I'll go with this. Also, bankrupted Coppola for years. It did. I mean, it, you know, it didn't do well. Um, That's putting it mildly. But mildly. Well, he's because he, he sank so much of that money into it and well he did it first the apocalypse now where he's like he like more like three mortgages on his house and everything yeah. he had made from godfather one and two and and conversation all this everything he had and he just put it into apocalypse now and then that ended up paying off as well obviously would do it again and then it you can't keep it did not you can't keep betting on black every single right. time and yeah. hope that it that it works out you, you, you literally can't bet the house every against the house every single time but um i would say that um and we're getting on to kind of like our questions we do um uh for every session uh, for every episode and the first one is a double feature for cody oh okay um so yeah i said earlier i felt that this film was rather derivative so uh, I've got a few you could pick from. Uh, What's your one? Probably Hereditary. Because you're... Mainly because in the end it ends up being like the person that's afraid of everything and all the weird shit's happening to. There, there's a cult following around them then being made, possessed by a deity into the new yeah. whatever, figurehead of yeah. their religion. Yeah, that's all there. Yeah. Paimon. Yeah. Pie man. What's your What's your second one? Um, <clears throat> the Wicker Man. Yeah, that's there. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, the kind of being 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 brought into this place. You, uh, you on think false you're, prote- you think yeah, you're false in pretenses. And... Yeah, I guess you could kind of Shutter Island that too, but um, nah, that's very different. Oh I mean, man, Wick- Shutter Shutter Island would be a fucking killer double feature yeah. with this movie. I think yeah. Wicker Man's a great one. It's like I didn't th- I even think about it. that's a like one to one in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Of you think that you're the detective and you're being played along the entire time. Um, but, but it is you who is being detected. But it is you are, they are detecting you. <laughs> <laughs> you, sir. Jacob. Bees! <laughs> oh, no. I'm not going to bring back your goddamn honey. Wait, are we, are we pairing it with the Nicholas Cage wicker <laughs> man? Ooh. It was just there. Uh, I'm going with uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure from 1997. Uh, kind of a serial killer movie, kind of a cursed a lot. movie. It's the same thing. as It, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, Empty Man in a lot of ways, and especially in the way that it is shot and evokes a, a very eerie, portentous feeling the entire time because like uh, Kurosawa... Uh, captures stillness in a similar way that Pryor does in Empty Man to where like 
things that shouldn't be terrifying are, or even things to where like, you know, if you walk into an empty basement or a, a desolate bridge or whatever, like he just captures that idea of like being alone and something you don't understand, maybe watching you and Kira does a lot of the same things while also being gruesome and, and, and kind of uh, fitted for a, a pulp mode uh, or suit uh, that you don't no- normally get out of J horror and I mean, and it's just a fucking kick-ass movie. Like it's so just good. so impeccably made that that's one hundred percent my pick. Yeah, mine. Um, we talked. You know, I think at your earlier, I was like, "Oh, you can't see mine." You're like, "Well, you're just gonna pick Angel Heart." I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah." <laughs> I mean, this movie is Angel Heart. It, it, I mean, and Angel Heart is is top five, like one of my favorite movies, and I'm obsessed with it, and it's great, and I love you know Parker, and it's this you know and i'm not saying this as any kind of rip to the film because it's like that's why i love it i'm like oh this is just more more angel heart same idea of a, of a, a person a detective thinking that he's the one on this mission but in fact he's you know and, but again like you are the mission you are the mission but that's been that's been done a lot lately i mean again like twists of i think even along the lines of six senses like that where it's like you are the ghost like you are what this is about you think you're like helping this kid but he's sure. helping you and but even with this kind of thing, when I realized what I thought was going on in this film, I wasn't disappointed. I'm like, yeah, that's what this, this movie. That's what the movie should be. Like this is this fits in the world they're building yeah. versus it being a, a stupid throwaway a- twist. Angel Heart. Here's the thing with Empty Man is that I actually didn't see it coming. I did, but it's when fine. when the movie ends, like yeah, you said that you <laughs> called it, and like even the second time, like I was watching it, being like. Yeah, like, I, I still, like, I could see this, to- like, going a, a totally different path where, like, Angel Heart, from the moment you, the moment you, may, you meet uh, Louis Cipher, I'm like, oh, he's the devil. That's, that's, that's what this movie is. It's De Niro is the devil, and he's eating eggs like a fucking he's psychopath. Like a long, <laughs> like, long fingernails, yeah. and he's got, like, the fucking cane. Like, yeah. oh, it's Satan. Yeah. Huh. Like, Lou, Lou Cipher. Huh. Well, it was, they even writes it down. I was rewatching it last night. It's like, Louis, uh, fucking Rourke, uh, Cypher? Cypher? Is he a foreign gentleman? And it's just this long thing. Like, yeah, I try, it's right there. Yeah, it's, it's just like, devil. it doesn't hide it at all, but I kind of respect that too because it, you're, I like knowing where this movie's going to end up because it's not about the ending. It's about the, the journey, not to be fucking cliched, but like <laughs> the journey in that movie is fucked up. <laughs> One that, hey, Jacob, wherever you go, go with all your heart. Blow me. <laughs> That's also that, that film too, uh, like Angel Heart. Even if you know that he's the devil, it doesn't that doesn't ruin like where the movie goes at all. Yeah, because like you or were the in, Lisa Bonet sex scene. Not at all. Is this the second time you've recommended Angel Heart on this show? No, it's no. definitely the second time we've talked about Lisa Bonet and Angel Heart. Yeah, we talked about it tonight. I think we've talked about it before. No, we have, we definitely have. Yeah. Well, that's fine because I love that movie. <laughs> that's yeah. Okay. <laughs> Martin Carlson. What was like that Angel one? <laughs> number one Angel President of Angel Heart fan club? Well, that one week you're like dot net. Like, oh, you bring up Ace in the Hole every week. I'm like, this is the first week. I brought it up 10 minutes ago. Like, oh, yeah, that was 10 minutes ago. <laughs> That's right. I got to stop drinking. <laughs> so uh, next uh, next question is, now, one of our questions is remake or no. This, the film came out 
last year. Yeah, last we year. can't really have that one but, this no, time. No, but what about what about a sequel of a film in the same universe? No, I don't care. Like I, I like that this movie just does what it does and ends, and I don't need anything else in this universe. Because to me, that's what makes the movie so powerful is that it is like Angel Heart. It is James uh, Badgedale's uh, story it's about a guy grappling with his own existence and whether or not to go on in the face of tragedy and like that that's where the 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 stuff that moves me most about it comes from and the feeling that it, it kind of fills me with comes from so no i'm, I'm fine we know cody says no. <laughs> i didn't want him to make it this time so <laughs> jesus jesus so Look, I, 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 let me just cody one star bouchard <laughs> To the film's uh, credit, there there were a lot of scenes that were beautifully done. The cinematography is is gorgeous. The the whole thing looks spectacular. Just the 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 subject matter, not even the subject matter, just the the, the material of it. I didn't. So the chicken was cooked all the way through. Yeah. Okay. So I would like a sequel, oh. um, but I would and I would hire David Pryor again. Sure. And this is in a fantasy world where. I say this was a hit. No, 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 no. This is this is me. <laughs> this warranted a sequel no, in any way, budget wise. This is me as a producer. It came out. It came out the year after it was made. Well, this is like me as a producer down the line, or like working at a studio. If I if I were, if I do, I'm just saying, like, it would be almost like a soft reboot, like five or six years down the line, where he has like another okay. another shot at it. Bring Sam Raimi in. After it has a, like the first one has a cult following right. and it's like, let, let's roll these dice again. There's a, a bunch of kids standing outside of the production company blowing into bottles. No, but like, oh my, like Evil Dead becoming Evil Dead 2, you know, where sure. it's, like a, it's like almost a remake, but it's also a sequel. And I would do like that where I was like, hey, cause I think you could tell he still stretched his budget in a really great way. Oh yeah. Still, it was small, but big, but I'll be like, hey, like make a sequel. I think there is going to be a following for this. I think give it time. Um, and... And I think that a sequel where, not with James, but obviously he's he's around, but it, basically taking the the world of the Empty Man and just coming in with with different horror genres, like having a different take and coming in, like having an unempty verse, or like throwing in some more like Cronenberg type stuff to where like it's about a cult that comes in and fucks James Badgedale while he's in a coma. Yeah. I'll, I'll, It'd be awesome, but no, I mean, again, <laughs> all those campfire dancers catch him in the car. Well, yeah. having you know, again, reading the comic, like it does this feel of like you can kind of come into the world any way you want, and and like it, it, what I like about this film is having read the comic again, I don't think it contradicted the movie. It's like you can come in and tell the story you want to tell with this sandbox. Well, to kind of bring up the grudge again, kind of in the same way that they they keep reinventing the house and everything, and yeah. like it's a new family, and yeah. It's just it, it's it's a simple enough idea, but also like you can thematically do a lot with it. Sure. So you could also fuck James Badgedale's corpse. That's in the director's cut. Yeah, that's on the cutting room floor. I can't wait to ask David Pryor about that. So, how many corpse <laughs> fucking scenes did you cut out? Uh, five. So I think we're down to uh, face melter, face melter, A or nay. Nay, Cody. Nay. <laughs> yeah, we already know. Let's not ask Cody. Cody says no for all the reasons I've already uh, explored. No, I don't. I don't actually think it is. I think it's too slow and portentous and and doing its own thing to be a quote unquote face melter. But at the same time, I mean, I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies of the last like few years. Um, I anticipate watching it a bunch of times. Um, but like, yeah, like. 
it doesn't quite fit that, but who cares? I how many times have I said who cares? On yeah. this one? <laughs> I don't care. Um, Seven. I I agree with what you're saying. Um, I'm going to say that it is uh, just because we we have kind of redefined what a face melter is. Yeah. Over some of these weeks, like it's, sure. obviously it's not hard target. It's not hard target, which I think is the ultimate. Or what if this did have Van Damme in it though? Oh, fuck, awesome! Like that's our that's the reboot. Like we bring Look, like Van I grew Damme up in San Francisco. In. Okay, I, I get it. I am from New Orleans. I my mama <laughs> took one. <laughs> I am from the future. <laughs> but I, <laughs> what is the empty man? I I have woken up from cryo sleep. Your mother named you after a bug. Um, <laughs> But I think I, I, w- I would call it because you guys didn't put him in this movie at all. I had an ex- just the experience of watching the of of being constantly what what mm-hmm. like 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 similar to you saying when we you know we you know call well actually we're not sorry not to that film yet but another film we've watched for this series where is not action packed but is very much a face mother because you're like you're it's just kind of consi- consistently is keeping it surprised and again i think i kind of came with like super low expectations too sure like because it had kind of been dumped on vod and that's and always limited that's always a good way to come into stuff yeah so some of the movies i love the most i've i've met that way yeah because i i was just kind of came in like even and then because again a lot of vod stuff my first thing is like, i give it five minutes like is this even quality shot like it's just like is this even a movie you know if it just looks like a janky just like horror film. Cause there are other films that were, they were kind of dumped out during COVID that did well, like the wretched that played it like at, um, yeah, at, but I don't like that movie. No. Like it's a bad movie. It played it drive. It was just it, there. It was just there. And it was a film to fill the space. But this one actually is like, wow, I, I wrote this off as another film like the wretched. And the fact that it wasn't that I had a pendulum swing of that made it kind of a face melter for me. Sure. So, so, uh, something just popped into my head and this is completely out of order for everything. The bear in the cabin. Was that bear alive? Um, the stuffed bear. It's. I think it's just in his head. That's my understanding. Yeah. It's. It's a symbol of of the kid that was with the kid. I think in the car, and it's like bleeding into what's happening there. All right. But that's just a sign. That, he's watching the video of the uh, possessed person with the black fingers doing the, the finger painting on the wall. It's not a possessed person. That was the first try at them drawing someone up. Yeah. Uh, that was the first version of him. Gotcha. That didn't work. <laughs> I, I love it. But he's still connected to whatever's over there, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah, like, that bear's like head just like kind of tilts up on its own, and then it's and then it's gone from the yep. the back shot. Yeah. See, this is why I want to watch this movie again, is because you guys even caught details that I haven't caught on two viewings, so I need to go for a third. Yeah, we're going to make a four-hour talk with David Pryor, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that finishes us up for this week. Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, to this very special edition of Secret Handshake. Um, next week, we have some more Japanese uh, cinema, or at least this is straight Japanese cinema as, as opposed to Japanese influence cinema. We got some but, straight J, none of that fake J. Yeah. Hook J? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't but, a J already hooked? Wouldn't yeah, it be some... that's what oh, I'm I see saying. What you're doing. Yeah. But, um, Curly J. Tune, <laughs> tune in next week. Uh, to Secret Handshake, but also stick around for the rest of this week for one of the few interviews that director David Pryor has ever given about The Empty Man. Stay tuned.